an A&E original podcast. The old bittersweet memories fall like leaves through sunshine and storm in the autumn of my life. As I face the looming, unknown winter, my mental eye peers back with remorse at the carnal ruin and sorrow of my poisonous pimp wake. But there is a solace and joy in my desire to build instead of destroy during the sun risings left to me. Robert Beck, The Naked Soul of Iceberg Slim. Born in the Bronx, raised in the streets from coast to coast and worldwide, these are the stories, the moments in time, the places and faces, the origins of hip-hop. Hosted by me, Grandmaster Kaz. In this episode, we'll cover the predecessors of and influences on the creation of hip-hop from the Watts Prophets to the Last Poets and the legendary life story of Iceberg Slim. Talking to Lonzo Williams of the World Class Wrecking Crew, Greg Mack, the game-changing DJ turned radio station owner, and journalist and historian Mr. Davey D. So, let's get poetic, shall we? Let me give you some context. The story of the South Bronx in the 1970s was sadly not uncommon. Other American cities shaped by decades of racist housing policy and the removal of public services were moving in similar directions. In particular, South Los Angeles was going through massive socioeconomic upheaval. In the aftermath of the Watts Uprising in 1965, the black suburbs of LA became a hotbed of political activism and militancy. White flight was in full effect, and the Black Panthers were on a collision course with the federal government. All this was swirling around the cultural hotbed of Central Avenue, where the stars of the post-bop jazz era were at the peak of their powers. Revolution was in the air. Hey, this is Lonzo, the godfather of West Coast hip-hop, the undisputed godfather of West Coast hip-hop, owner of Eve After Dark, and the leader of the world-class wrecking crew. What else you need to know? I grew up just just south of Watts, and I was in Watts on a regular basis. Uh, Watts Prophets, Last Poets, um, all these guys were were being spoken about. As I, I'm a kid now, we're talking about the early '70s, late '60s, early '70s. I'm a kid, and my sister, I have an older sister, and my cousin, they kind of touched on those things from time to time. But because they were a version, they were poets and rappers per se, um, they didn't get the same, well, they fell into the Gil Scott Heron um, click, okay? The conscious click of that era, you know? Because uh, Gil Scott Heron, back then, he rhymed, but he didn't rhyme on time all the time. He kind of get just some random things from time to time that made sense, made more sense than it did rhyme. And so he was kind of on that poetry situation but he was definitely on the positive uh, mindset and not the same thing as the Watch Prophets and the Last Poets. You had to be into that semi-militant mindset to really appreciate that. And back then, like everything else, we were kind of divided. You had your Martin Luther King followers, you had your Malcolm X followers, okay? And the Gil Scott Herons and the Watch Prophets and the Last Poets were kind of on the Malcolm X tip um, where it, it kind of had this, it had all that had the streets split, and but again, it was some stuff that you heard because nobody hated on any of it. 
They just, you may not have preferred it, but you still accepted it. One of the things that we should think about when we talk about hip hop out of the West Coast is that it has its own unique creation story and roots that lead up to it. So if you go back to the 1960s, 1970s, there's a, there's a jazz scene in LA. In Los Angeles, you have a cultural movement that comes out of the mayhem of the Watch Rebellion of 1965. You have a place called the Watch Writers Workshop that gets set up. And out of the Watch Writers Workshop, there's a number of prominent musicians. They range from Quincy Jones to Sammy Davis Jr., um, a bunch of others who would come down there and give recording lessons. The Watch Profits comes out of the Watch Writers Workshop. And there's a cultural movement that really lays down some groundwork for, you know, what eventually would lead to particular types of expressions that we associate in hip hop with the West Coast. One of the things that we should know what was happening with that cultural movement out of LA is that the FBI saw its potential for being a factor and they did everything they could to undermine it the Watch Writers Workshop is burnt down by an FBI informant by the name of Dart Hard Perry. And so there's a whole situation with that uh, where they're looking at, you know, and he even says, I burnt this down so that these people would not get any momentum and that they would be totally demoralized. I just found that to be fascinating because what it what it let us know is that cultural expression is such a powerful tool and that there was always an attempt to try and control it. So that's one thing that was happening that we need to keep abreast of. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Rapping Black in a White World. The Watts Prophets were born from a poetry workshop founded by a Hollywood screenwriter and former Communist Party member named Bud Schulberg. They met in the back of a Watts coffee shop that was next door to the local chapter of the Black Panther Party. The wordsmiths, men and women, who arose from this project went on to produce one of the seminal documents of the pre-hip-hop era, Rapping White in a Black World. Released in 1971, it featured spoken word over sparse piano and bass riffs. The unflinching subject matter and vivid description of life in South Central would inform the so-called gangster rap that emerged from South Central a decade later. My name is Greg Mack from Los Angeles. I started as a DJ. I now own radio stations. I've been buying and selling radio stations for the last 20 plus years. And one of my contributions to hip-hop was starting the very first ever 24-7 
hip-hop, rap, whatever you want to call it, radio station. What I noticed when I got home is to simply open up my window and all through South Central, all you heard was rap music. You heard a lot of Run DMC, you heard a lot of Curtis Blow, anything Sugar Hill. Uh, the rap music was already starting to take shape, but it was looked down upon by black programmers. It was looked down upon by politicians. Uh, it was looked down upon by major record companies. Major record stores wouldn't even carry it. As far as hip-hop is concerned, artists like the Watts Prophets and the Last Poets were the predecessors to hip-hop, to early rap music, let me say. Um, these guys were the griots, the poets that we listened to during that uh, Black Panther era, late 60s, going into the early 70s. So their conversations and their rap over uh, jazz riffs was the predecessor to uh, rap music as we know it. Um, there was a particular album called The Hustlers Convention. Okay, it was recorded by Jalal Mansour Nuruddin under the pseudonym Lightning Rod. And that particular joint gave birth to so many MCs. So many people emulated the style, the conversation, and uh, it was that pimp talk. It was that hustler talk, and that was from the West Coast. And um, their uh, influences from the uh, black exploitation era uh, to the actual... Um, environment that was going on um, back in L.A. at that time. So the conversation of people like Ice-T, um, who, great friend of mine who I met um, living out in L.A. when he first started, as a matter of fact, um, I, I, he got his conversation for people like Iceberg Slim. He got his whole swagger and then passed that same um, sensibility on to people like Snoop and others and who pretty much um, followed that same sensibility, that hustler, that street pimp mentality too short and others so pretty much that iceberg slim influence um is is peppered throughout um hip-hop's conversation and you can see it in its artists but especially on the west coast the naked soul robert malpin also known as iceberg slim was born in chicago in 1918 his mother had saved enough money to put him through college, but he found himself drawn to street culture, the money, the style, and the empowerment. He dropped out and began his life as a pimp and drug dealer. After more than 20 years in the game and a few stints in prison, Slim moved to Los Angeles, changed his name to Robert Beck, and decided to write his life story. His explicit and brutally honest depiction of the sex trade was matched by his unique literary style, a radical blend of formal structure, street slang, and lyrical imagery. His books became a huge influence on the early hip-hop scene, particularly on the West Coast. In the 70s, I was 14, 14 or 15, and I was a big Curtis Mayfield fan. And when he dropped Superfly, I could not go see the movie, but I got the album, album cover, and heard the music, and immediately changed everything I wanted. I think Iceberg Slim had to do with the motivation of many artists on the West Coast, more so Ice-T, because these other guys, if you listen to what they were talking about, you know, the guys on the West Coast, uh, it was a reflection of what was going on in the streets. And although many of these guys didn't have those terrible things going on in their life, 
A lot of their friends and relatives did. And so they would hear the stories and they would take the stories and write them into something, you know, uh, um, you know, that matched a good beat. And so Iceberg Slim, he was living the life. And so a lot of the guys coming up out of the streets, out of poverty, admired what Iceberg Slim was about. It's, it's almost like when you're talking about hip hop, uh, the heroes in the hood were the drug dealers. The drug dealers wanted to get out of what they were doing, so they took their money and started putting it into music to get out of the business. And while some people may frown on that, you know what? I'd much rather have them in the studio than robbing you on the street. So the Panthers in Northern California and the US organization, United Slaves down in LA, were very much aware of, you know, the power of cultural expressions. They were hip hop before hip hop, I often like to say. Those individuals were ones to embrace this expression um, before our, you know, other elders in the community. And, you know, there's fascinating stories about how those things were integrated and how those things are reflected. You know, the political um, understandings that we had of the Panthers, how that showed up, not just on the West Coast, but, you know, even back East. Um, their influence was there. The Nation of Islam would be another, you know, artery as well, the 5% nation, um, primarily back East. But the Panthers, you can't ignore their influence um, and pimp culture. You can't ignore the influence that it had on West Coast, um, you know, music. The Mac, which was filmed in Oakland, had a tremendous influence because by the 1970s, as they were trying to oppress the Black Panthers and their political ideology, um, at the same time with the rise of pimp culture, you know, primarily delivered through what we now know as Black exploitation movies, so the Mac had a big had a big hold on a lot of people. Superfly would be another movie, um, even though he was a cocaine dealer. Many people didn't know at the time; probably saw him more as a pimp. But that became the definition of flyness and all that. And I think when people started to look back at some of the things that they could sample and draw upon, they went to those movies and they went to those aesthetics, and that got reflected in the movie. Dolomite would be another artery as well. So there's a whole interesting relationship between the Black Arts Movement, the Panthers, the US organization, gang culture, pimp culture, and that whole cauldron and how they fed into the music that would eventually come out of this uh, West Coast. It took guys my age to really understand the importance of the Watch Prophets and Last Poets. And later on, as people started to progress, started to get more knowledge yeah. about the music and the roots of the music, that's when these guys' work started coming more into play. Ice-T was into all that. I mean, he's, he, was into, he was a big Iceberg Slim uh, reader, and um, I also believe he, he was in, into the Watch Prophets as well. And Ice-T and I are around the same age. I'm a little older than he is, but we, can, we have different backgrounds. Again, um, I, I'm a, I got a Catholic school background, okay? He was more from the streets. So we saw different, we saw the same times through different lenses. And, but we still kind of crossed paths and did our own things. It just, it just, that at that time, man, the streets, the streets of LA were a lot different. The social vibe of LA was a lot different. You know, you had the WLCAC, you had the uh, Black Panthers, you had all these groups that were kind of spin-offs and trying to 
improve the care of the community and forbid the pimps weren't allowed to improve the community, okay? They weren't, that my mama wasn't having that. You ain't reading no pimp books, okay? But you also uh, had the WLCAC, one of the founders grew up on my street. So you see people walk marching because that's what they did. They would march sometime, WLCAC. They would march down the street. Moms, I would see them. I wanted to join them. Moms wasn't going for it because I was a Catholic school kid. That was a no-no. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Red versus Blue. By the 1980s, the cultural roots of poetry and jazz in South Central Los Angeles ran deep. But the radical politics and the social consciousness of the Black Panthers had fallen by the wayside under the strain of a crumbling economy and state-sponsored violence. They were replaced by fractious gang culture. Two massive auto manufacturing plants shuttered in 1981. Thousands of dependable union jobs disappeared. Crack was flooding the streets. Unemployment was rampant. These elements came together in the cities of Watts, Compton, and Inglewood to set the scene for West Coast hip-hop to make its unique statement to the world. The distinct social commentary and self-expression that flavored Bronx-born hip-hop was answered by this more aggressive, militant form of rap music that embraced the violence of the streets. What was going on in the early 80s on the West Coast was you had an influx of, from what I understand, the federal government supplying crack in the neighborhood. Now, obviously, they wanted to try and control, if you will, the black population, and so they flooded the market with it. They uh, made drug dealers rich, gave them all the crack they could handle to sell to the community and try and uh, hurt the community, which they did. And so you heard a lot of rappers start rapping about what was going on at that time uh, in their music. But it was a tough time. You know, you had several other plants closing, people losing their jobs. Uh, a lot of people didn't have any other option but to start selling drugs, which is playing right into the hands of what the feds wanted. And these guys that were drug dealers were the ones, you have to understand, in the black community at that time, they were the heroes. They were the ones that would, you know, go in and, and help the single mom when she couldn't pay her bills or feed her kids. Or, uh, it also spawned gangs. Now, mind you, gangs were already happening. It escalated uh, during that era. And gangs, I'll tell you something really interesting here. The person, when I first came to Los Angeles in 1983, that educated me on gangs was a former gang member himself. He was the late singer Barry White. And Barry White would tell me of, you know, why he joined the gangs and, you know, why he was gangbanging and how when he went to prison 
Only then did he realize, after sitting in jail, listening to Elvis Presley on the radio, he told me, he said, you know what, if that dude can make money, I can make money. And when he came out of prison, he started making music. That's where Barry started. Now, that being said, Barry educated me to the streets a lot, telling me, well, you can't wear red over in this neighborhood, you can't wear blue over here. And coming from Texas, I would always say blood or cuz because it was a term of endearment in Texas. But in California, it could get you killed. And the gangs were controlling the streets. In the 90s, they were telling stories, it's fabricated lies. Uh, Susie came into the court with a submachine Uzi and blah, 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 that's easy E. And we knew that was a lie. Ain't nobody did no shooting in Compton Court like that. But then at some point in time, it's like people started to try to create life situations that turned into lyrics. And we're experiencing that a lot of that right to this day. This is why so many people are getting arrested uh, based on their own lyrics because they feel they have to have some kind of street credibility to make music, which I think is the most asinine thing in the world because usually people make music to get away from the streets. That's usually the whole purpose of getting rich and making money to get out of the streets and provide a better life for your family and yourself. But these youngsters today feel like if I'm not tied to the streets, I'm a failure, which I don't understand that. Wrap up. R.A.P. that is. Despite the way corporate media likes to focus on the supposed negative influence of hip-hop, the depiction of violence, drug dealing, misogyny, and homophobia, this was all a reflection of the world that hip-hop came from. Hip-hop didn't create these conditions. Looking back on the uncompromising work of Iceberg Slim and the Watts Prophets is a way to understand how these narratives persisted for decades and built an artistic platform for new generations to understand the world around them and transcend it. Kendrick Lamar paid homage to this unique poetic lineage in his certified platinum album, To Pimp a Butterfly, which features extended poetic interludes over jazz riffs. For a while, man, I was very disappointed in hip-hop. And I still have my disappointments when it comes to the news and I hear so many people dying, going to jail, doing dumb stuff. But then as I travel and I see a bubbling undercurrent of enlightenment from a lot of youngsters, they're not getting the attention that the knuckleheads are getting, and they never do, but I see there is some hope for hip-hop. And um, again, being an elder statesman in the game, I've been able to recognize trends long before they became mainstream. And there is a trend coming, because people are tired. A lot of kids are tired. People, man, folks, man, man, kids don't want to be out here. Nobody wants to be in situations where their life is in danger just to go to a party. Who wants to do that? But uh, guys have to understand, if you think you need to take a gun to a party, you might not want to go to that party. But nobody thinks like that. And you have too many grown folks. When I say grown folks, I'm talking about people in their late 40s, 50s, early 60s that still may be trying to merge in and not offer wisdom. You got people that are grown in, in numbers but not grown in mentality to try and be mentors to these youngsters. Hey, man, um, I can't co-sign what you're doing, but if you feel you have to do that, get you some money and get out of the game. Don't make it a career move, fool. And this is where most people make their mistake at. 
no matter how much money I made at Eve After Dark, and Eve After Dark was very successful back in the day, the owner of the club nor my or my dad, neither one of them would forego what they knew what was right or wrong to jump on my bandwagon, okay? I see a lot of grown people right now complying with youngsters just to stay associated with a certain group, okay? If I'm somebody's friend, I'm going to tell you about yourself, win, lose, or draw. If you don't like me for telling you the truth, so be it. But I'm not, that's just me. And I think that's something we're missing in hip-hop. We're supporting our own annihilation in so many different ways. You got people dying by the dozens on a weekend. You, you open up on Facebook or a news channel, you can count the deaths from hip-hop-related events, concerts, parties, everything. A party ain't a party unless somebody died. Come on, man. Greg Mack clues us into some of the other rough factors of this time and place. I think what's unique about the West Coast is all of the headwinds I faced by wanting to support rap music. I had all of the politicians ticked at me. I had all of the record companies. As a matter of fact, a few of them threatened to break my legs and ribs and shoot me and all kinds of stuff because they were mad because, you know, they would spend $100,000 promoting a major artist, and I'm over here playing Toddy T. And and it's our most requested record. Uh, the major record stores refused to carry it. The mom and pop stores were making a killing. The swap meets were making a killing. Um, it was just a weird time. And it was also, uh, I wouldn't say hurtful to me, but very disappointing that uh, black radio stations looked at hip-hop as, you know, ghetto and they wouldn't support it either. And so, you know, th there was a lot of things that puzzled me uh, about why we, uh, as, as hip-hop or, or hip-hop artists, never got in that early stage the support that uh, I think that we should have got. But, you know, I think, you know, it kind of justifies what we were doing now that, you know, it's a, a multi-billion dollar business. So I stand real proud when I see people that I help launch like LL Cool J and Queen Latifah and Jay-Z and a lot of these artists that are, that are on TV that, that, you know, came through there and they were getting the same resistance. And But I will just say that I'm very proud of them with, uh, you know, where they where they went and how, they, how it all ended up or, and how it's still going. It's not over yet. Man, I would, I would love to go back to a time where we can go back to have a party. I would, I would love to see kids, youngsters having a good time without the illusion of bullshit being the focus point. That's all. That's all. I would love to see uh, folks smile. I would love to see um, youngsters partying. I would love to see a goddamn soul train line. That's what I want to see. This is the origins of hip-hop. And we're out. Looking for more origins of hip-hop content? Check out the Origins of Hip Hop television show. New episodes air Tuesdays at 10, 9 central, only on AE. Watch live, stream, or on demand. And don't miss the exclusive after show, Origins of Hip Hop Extended Play, hosted by me, Kaz, and the legendary Shah Rock. Premiering on video on demand after every new episode of Origins of Hip Hop on AE. This episode is hosted by yours truly, Grandmaster Kaz. Produced and edited by Bennett Barbaco and Rob Amjarv. 
written and produced by Clay Seneschal. Our associate producer is the lovely Emma Damakosh. And executive produced by Bennett Barbaco and Larry Adam. And for A&E, this episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and executive producer is Jesse Katz. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.